Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by our friends over at Celsius. Scott Reynolds is with us today on the show, and I am, of course, John Ledyard. We are joined today, Scott, by a very special guest from NFL Films, Greg Cassell. We have been itching to get Greg in here to talk about this crazy Bucks offense, Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, even the Bucks defense a little bit today. So, Greg, it is really an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for making the time. Oh, John, I appreciate it. Thanks uh, for having me. I, I, I forgot to dress up today. You know, the good thing of NFL films is I can come to work in a sweatshirt and all that. So, you know, <laughs> hopefully that's okay. Hey, that's the good thing about Peter Report, too. That's what Scott tells me, right, Scott? I can. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, dress, dress comfortably. Let's talk some football. That's what that's I right. Yeah, I Scott and I, John, go way back. So I haven't yes. seen Scott in years, but uh, we go back at least probably 20 years. Absolutely. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. I've covered this team for 25 years. Yeah. And there I you know go. For about 20 and uh you know a, a huge admirer of your work at, at nfl films and uh you know uh, the, the nfl matchup show i i probably watched the first episode of it way back in the day and a uh, huge fan of, of your uncles as well howard cosell so i appreciate it thank you yeah, it's it's it, we got a lot of ground to cover today, and Greg is uh, we're just pumped to be able to be getting his insight, and so it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to talk Bucks offense, Bucks defense, and all of it is going to be brought to you by our good friends over at Celsius. Well, you know, John, Celsius powers active lives every day with essential functional energy. And my wife actually wanted me to to give a shout out to the, the watermelon flavor. That's her flavor. Mm. Uh, it's her favorite one. And uh, they come in, in all sorts of, of varieties. Uh, for fall, they've got the Fuji apple pear, which is a great fall flavor. Uh, a couple other fruity flavors are the wild berry. And the That's the one I need to try. Yeah, and and the thing is, is, is some of these flavors appeal to women, maybe more than men. And even though this is a, a show that has ninety five percent male audience, guys, for Christmas, get your wife yes. a gift of Celsius. It makes a great gift. You can go on uh, our website, pewterreport.com, Click on those Celsius banners; they'll take you right to Amazon, where you can buy them uh, a case at a time and save some money that way. So if you're not yeah. sure which flavor you and and your significant other want to to try, uh, get the variety back, and, right. and that way problem solved. Yeah, my wife I know is going to be drinking them. Uh, she's already started uh, drinking them a little bit, and she's enjoyed them so far. So it's going to be on the Christmas list, I think. Greg, we are pumped to have you on the show today uh, because there might not be a more you know t- t- a bigger topic right now in the NFL <laughs> than the Bucks offense, which really has been <laughs> good. I mean, it's the it's the highest scoring offense in Bucks history. Scott and I were, were talking about yesterday, the other day. But it, you know, the reality is that the expectations are so high for a group like this that sometimes when they haven't met them, you know, they can seem like things are, are failing when really it's just kind of maybe some bumps in the road. So I'll just ask you kind of generally off the top and then we'll move to more specific stuff. But you've watched the Tom Brady, you've watched Bruce Arians, you knew both of them. You and I talked over the summer for an article I did about, you know, kind of what this offense could look like, how Brady could operate within this offense, how everybody could kind of flow and generate uh high level production in this offense. What have been your general observations so far, specifically how Tom Brady has played in this Bruce Arians offense and the level of comfort that he's had? 
Well, John, let me get to that in a sec, because I think one thing that I, I think stands out, and again, this is sort of a philosophical uh, conversation. Some will will agree, some will disagree. But yeah. I, I think one of the things that stands out to me is there's no week-to-week sense to me as to what they think their running game is. And I think, again, I'm not going to get in. We're not going to get into the whole conversation about the concept of balance. I know w- there's a lot of people who believe balance is is a, you know, anachronistic term in, in the NFL now that you don't need balance. Then there's other people who believe you do. So we won't get into that. But at the end of the day, somewhere along the line, you do have to run the football. Now, it's not a number. We're not going to apply a number to it. Oh, if you, you know, if you don't have 25 rushes, you can't have a good offense. That's not my point. But my point is there has to be some running game on a week-to-week basis. And, and in my view, there has to be some sense of what that running game is philosophically. Every week does present a different defense and different challenges, but there has to be some sense that, hey, this is what our offense kind of looks like. And we're going to try to play like that unless we're forced to play differently. And my sense watching the Bucks is from an identity standpoint that they seem to be week to week uncertain as to what that identity and philosophical approach is. And you believe then that watching that running game and, and their uncertainty kind of about how to approach it, whether schematically or idealistically, you think that is having then a ripple effect on quarterback play down in distances that they're in production and efficiency of the passing offense as well. And again, I'll give you my view, uh, you know, that's all I can give you. Um, I don't think no matter how great your quarterback is, whether it's Russell Wilson, who was having, you know, an MVP year until a few weeks Mm -hmm. ago, whether it's Patrick Mahomes, they're in a different situation because of the, the uh, players that surround Patrick Mahomes. But I think back to the game yesterday with uh, Roethlisberger, I think it's very hard in this league with how good defenses are to ask your quarterback, no matter how good he is, to drop back by choice 40-plus times every week. Sure. I think that's a hard deal. Can you do it some weeks? Of course you can. And we've seen it, you know, we've seen it done. Uh, but I think especially, and, and I'll add this caveat, especially if your quarterback does not have second reaction movement ability, because at some point the defense is going to win downs. And when they win downs, if your quarterback can't really make plays outside of the structure of the offense, it's very difficult to ask him to drop back 45 times every week. You know, this is the second year that I've covered Bruce Arians here in Tampa. And even last year, Right with Jameis Winston, there, there was uh, th- there were games where they were down early, and it just seems like they abandoned the running game so quickly. And that was kind of the the case on on uh, Sunday, right? They were down seventeen nothing in the first quarter. They were down fourteen nothing uh, to the Rams, and um, or I should say to the Saints uh, in that game where they only ran the ball four times and had one quarterback kneel down. But Greg, how much of uh, of this? And, and I hear the lip service from Bruce Arians. I think he wants to to run the ball more and have that balance. But at the same time, he's the quarterback whisperer. He's a former <laughs> coach, right? Um, he's He's got a, a former NFL quarterback calling the plays, and he's got Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time. So it, it, it's he's kind of betraying his own desire, right, by, by, by what he is. He is a guy that likes to throw the ball, and he's got a play caller who was a former quarterback, and he's got Brady, right? Right. So, 
is is that just too much uh, for Arians to resist? Well, no risk it, no biscuit, right? That's Bruce's <laughs> motto. Um, you know, and but I think it then depends on other parts of your team. Look, we know they have a very good receiving core. There's no question. We don't need to discuss that or debate that. But then you also have to think about your offensive line, because like I said, look, Brady is great. Um, and let, let me just give you a quick aside here. I was really fortunate in my career, and it's probably the greatest influence on my career. I've been doing this a long time. It's my 41st NFL season at NFL Films. So I was very fortunate to get to know Bill Walsh mm -hmm. and spend time with him. And he really taught me the quarterback position. And, and I feel you know very grateful that that happened. But he would tell me stories. He he coached Dan Fouts for one year. I think it was 1976. So it was just before Air Coriel. Mm -hmm. And Fouts attributes Walsh with basically turning around his career. And then we obviously know what happened with San Francisco and Montana. But mm -hmm. Walsh told me that there were certain routes, for instance, route concepts that he would call with Dan Fouts that he didn't call with Joe Montana mm -hmm. because Joe Montana couldn't throw those the way Dan Fouts could because they were right. different quarterbacks. So when people hear that, they think, oh, you're crazy. Joe Montana, the best, blah, blah, blah. Well, every quarterback is different. You know, mm -hmm. Bruce Arians coached Carson Palmer. Carson Palmer is a big, big physical, big-armed quarterback, a deep-drop quarterback right. with a power arm and unbelievable anticipation. You know, he's different than Tom Brady. We're not saying who's better. That's not my point. Yep. Clearly, mm -hmm. Brady is better when you look, you know, in the in, the, in history. Right. But quarterbacks are different and sometimes you need to and I'm this is no knock on Bruce Arians but sometimes quarterbacks do fit with the rest of your team and I would argue look John I know you you probably study the individuals on the Bucks O-line more than I do you know you work for Pewter Port the Bucks are your thing I'm trying to watch you know 14 games every week so I can't sit and chart Ali Marpet every snap I just can't do it so I, you know I could be saying something that's wrong and you can please correct me I don't think this is a great pass protecting all line. That's just my opinion from watching their tape. Um, you know, so given that, that plays into the nature of your pass game. Because then if you're going to ask your quarterback who doesn't, who's not a mover to have deeper drops to get the ball down the field, you have to take that into account in the way you structure your pass game. Because otherwise he's going to be under pressure. And Brady's been under pressure a lot this year. Right. It, do you think in the context of what you're saying, and, and you know, there have certainly been games where that pass protection has been leaky. You know, I think of the game without Mally Marpet, where the Saints game, you know, where Joe Haig was in the game at left and then guard. They made the he, really, he really had a tough time. Exactly. Yeah, he yeah. really had a tough time. And, and they've had some, you know, against the best, even the Chiefs. I mean, it was a lot of blitzing. It was a lot of extra guy. You know, we got to account for him with oh, the, yeah. the team, basically. And so, but even given all that, you know, you talked about Bruce Aaron's offense and the deeper drops and, and things like that. And if you look at sack numbers for Bruce Aaron's quarterbacks over the year, they've typically been very high. I mean, 40s, 50, a couple times if it. But Brady, in the context of all that, has still kind of barely been sacked. He's on pace to only be sacked 21 times this season, which would probably be one of the better marks in the NFL. Does that speak to who Brady is as a quarterback yeah. and how he's kind of – is he – continuing to thrive and like as a guy that still hardly takes sacks in an offense where the quarterback is sacked a lot, has he kind of overcome some of those schematic situations that Aaron's offense might put him in? Well, he'll get rid of the football because he can't move and make plays with second reaction ability. He'll, he'll throw it away. I mean, I can remember one play from this week. I think it was actually a play. I can't, it might've been early in the game. You know, I, I can't remember every where I think Brown was in the backfield. They were in 10 yep. personnel and he went, ran the wheel route and he just threw it out of bounds. 
you know, right. uh, he wasn't open anyway because I forget who was defending him. But, you know, it, it, the play didn't work as designed. But mm -hmm. there was pressure. He just threw it out of bounds. Brady yeah. will get rid of the football. He's not going to stand there. You know, he's not like Roethlisberger, who Arians also coached, who's right. going to stand there and stand there and stand there because he's 6'5", 250, and he's yeah. a big oak tree, and he can push people away. You know, mm -hmm. Brady's not going to do that. He's going to get rid of the football. So I think he prevents sacks very often by just throwing in completions. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you think about Bruce Arians quarterbacks over the years and the things that, you know, everybody's kind of said, oh, there's lots of yards, there's touchdowns, there's lots of passing production, but then the interceptions, you know, and that, that was obviously with Jameis, it was kind of like this, this huge number, obviously with the 30 and the, and the five fumbles, it was kind of like turnovers, you know, how can, can a Bruce Arians offense ever move past the sacks and the turnovers that if they can do that, you know, I feel like we'll be kind of moving in the right direction as a group. And, you know, here the Bucs are highest scoring off. What did you say yesterday? 28.7 points per game, Scott, for this yep. Bucs offense. So moving toward 30 points per game, and they're terrific in the red zone. You know, one of the best teams in the NFL in the red zone. And the sacks are down and the, and the turnovers, you know, even though everybody's like, oh, Brady – He's throwing 11 picks. He's going to throw less turnover for less interceptions than most quarterbacks Bruce Arians has ever had. And yet still you've heard this kind of, it's, it's underwhelming. It's not quite what the product, you well, know, that was promised. It's an expectation issue because it's yeah. Brady and it's these receivers. So the thought is that they should be putting up 35 and it should be unbelievable. You know, based right. on what you just said, it's been pretty good. And by the way, if you're scoring 29 points a game, you should win a lot of games. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, so what's their record at this point? Seven and five. Yeah. So that, I mean, again, that does not seem like the record I'm sure people expected. So, and, and look, you guys have been around long enough to know there's many reasons why teams win and many reasons why teams lose. It, it can never be just pinpointed on one particular player. Um, right. But I do think that if you wanted to focus particularly on Brady, which I know everybody does, I, I think I've watched every Bucks offensive game this year for obvious reasons. So, I, you know, I, I think I can speak to that to some degree. Um, he has been under a lot of duress. And the thing that happens, Brady is what, – what's always made Brady great to me is the repetitive mechanics. You know, everybody talks about other things that to me are, are you know, people's always got the it factor. But, you know, that's all – to me, that that's meaningless. You know, he, he does the same thing all the time. You know, baseball, sabermetrics and analytics have been around in baseball for going back to the 80s. I remember a guy named Bill James. I used to read all his stuff. I loved it. Um, you know, so people say Brady's clutch. Well, the reality is Brady does the same thing on the first play that he does on the last play. It's just the last play is closer to the end of the game. So people say he's clutch. He just does the same thing all the time. They used to say that about Derek Jeter in baseball. He's clutch. Well, then somebody did a study, and he did the same thing in innings one through three, four through six, and seven through nine because yeah. he just mm -hmm. does the same thing all the time. He was great. Brady's been the same way. So it's he's great because he's so repetitive with his mechanics in every single thing he does. So now when you get him under pressure and the mechanics can't exactly be the same – to me, one thing the tape shows is I think he's had a tendency because he's been under pressure. He starts to anticipate pressure a little bit. That's my, I'm, you know, I'm extrapolating from watching the tape. So I think he's rushing his mechanics at times. And he is such a mechanics quarterback. Look, he's a guy that even after he was a first ballot Hall of Famer would still go out and work with his quarterback coach, Tom Martinez, because he understood what he was as a quarterback. Yeah. Um, reminds me of Bill Walsh telling me the story that Joe Montana, after his first year in Kansas City, when Montana was already a first ballot Hall of Famer with all the Super Bowls, 
called uh-huh. Coach Walsh after his first season at Kansas City. And Coach Walsh at that point was out. He was not coaching in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And Joe said, Coach, can I come visit you? I didn't feel my mechanics were as good this year mm-hmm. as when we were together. I need you to brush up. You know, and this was after Montana, you know, like I said, 14, 15-year player. Yeah. You know, I think Brady's the same way. He's a repetitive mechanics guy. And I think that when you start to be under pressure, which is a function of deeper drops and and, and more vertical route concepts, he starts to rush his mechanics a little bit. Well, you know, it, one thing that was not rushed, Greg, uh, was this offseason because we didn't have one in the NFL no. due to COVID-19, right? So uh, how, how much... Um, I mean, that's a factor, it, Scott. That's a factor. It is right because it, I think a lot of fans want to sit there and say, "Okay, well, well, twelve weeks into the season, shouldn't this this team be further along?" And I kind of went back to the NFL calendar, and if you sit there and say, "Okay, you have five weeks of OTAs and minicamp where there's no game planning; it's strictly focused on mechanics and and play installation and building rapport, that chemistry, right, between the receivers and the quarterbacks." And so you don't have that. You've got a truncated training uh, camp. Instead of having a five-week training camp with four preseason games, you've got essentially two weeks of, of padded practices. Right. And then Tom Brady uh, gets his first live action with guys like Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski and stuff in a Bucks uniform against Cameron Jordan and, and yeah. the New Orleans Saints, right? So – um, how much of, of, of what we're seeing, and again, I, I'm, I'm not one of these people that's panicking. I mean, uh, Brady's on pace to throw for 4,400 yards, 37 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. That's way better than, than, than any Bruce Arians quarterback in his first scheme, as John pointed out this week on, on an article on PeterReport.com. But how much are those, those missed weeks, those eight weeks or so in, in August and then June and, and May, uh, still affecting this team. I think it takes a while. Look, because he's Tom Brady, people just assume it's going to happen like that. Right. And it doesn't. Because don't forget, he was in the same offense for a very, very, very long time. And because he's a repetitive guy, that's his thing. Now he's starting from scratch. My yeah. guess is the terminology is different. My guess is the, the concepts are different. My guess is they're taught differently. And as smart as Brady is, and he's incredibly smart, it's still all different. You know, uh, another coach I've, I've known well for a hundred years is Al Saunders, who's, you know, coached yeah. started in 1978 in the NFL. And, and he had a great analogy to me. He said, you know, what, what offensive um, terminology is, it's like learning a foreign language. He said, you know, ordering a hamburger and French fries is it's always the same, but obviously if you go to France, it's different words than you you say in the United right. States. So okay. now you're starting, oh, so some of the concepts might be the same, but they're expressed differently. They're talked about differently. Um, so, you know, these things come into play. And when you literally start that in August in a truncated uh, training camp where there's no true off season, say what you want about Zoom and StreamYard and all these wonderful things that we <laughs> now know about that we never knew about a year ago <laughs> it's still not the same as yeah. you know being going through an off season and you know it just takes time and right. it this happens to be a totally different offense right. and i know people say well why isn't he running you know the, the patriots offense you know th- that's kind of a silly thing to say bruce yeah. arians has been doing this a long yeah. time he's been pretty successful you know there are things you see that i see on tape that mm. 
Brady did with the Patriots, but yeah. Bruce runs his offense. He's been he's right. been pretty good at it. So you know you, you can't just say, oh well, he should do what Tom did. You know he should run Josh McDaniel's offense. We all know it doesn't work like that. Right. Well, and also too, from just from a pure math standpoint, right? It's like you've got eleven players out there on offense on any given play, and a lot of those guys, most of those guys, with the exception of Tristan Wirfs and Rob Gronkowski and. Leonard Fournette, I mean, we're in this offense last year, so they've learned it. It's easier right. to only have a couple of guys learn the entire playbook than, than to have, uh, you know, uh, eight out of the 11 uh, learn it. And and then, to you know, to my other point about, about Brady, you were talking about, um, you know, foreign languages and stuff. It, isn't it true, do you, you think, that, that sometimes it's not just learning a new offense, but when you've done something one way for 20 years, it's kind of unlearning that offense too, right? Yes. You know, it's funny you say that. And again, it won't be quite like this with Brady because obviously he's been around and he's very smart. But yeah. most offensive coaches believe that when all said and done, it truly takes about four years for a quarterback, you know, let's say a young quarterback, to really become yeah. proficient in a particular offense because the, the way they talk about it, said, they say it takes two years to truly learn your offense, truly learn it where you're aware of every element, every check, every audible, every element, and then it takes two more years to learn everything about all the defenses in the NFL. Yeah. Now, obviously, Brady is past that, but still he was starting over with new terminology and new ways to express things. And you know. it's just, it takes time because not only does he have to learn it, he has to express it to everybody else right. in a way that he's comfortable with and everybody else is comfortable with. So it, you know, that does take time. And look, at the end of the day, as, as John mentioned, or, or Scott, one of you guys mentioned the numbers, it's not like we're talking about a bad season. Right. You know, it's just the team is seven and five, and I'm sure they expected them to be 11 and one, you know, or 12 and oh, you know, but it's not like Brady's having a bad season. Right. Right. It's it's just been a little bit choppy and especially in yeah. some primetime performances. And we all know recency bias and being in those primetime games leaves an impression on fans and they don't evaluate, like you said, watching every game and the context and stuff. But one of the big question marks, Greg, this is a two-part question. I'll ask you the first part and listen to your answer, then I'll come back with the follow-up on something we talked about this summer. The big topic of conversation, you and I even touched on it when we talked in the summer, was the deep ball in Bruce Aaron's offense, the vertical ball and Tom right. Brady, and how can those things come together in this offense? Well, people kind of overlooked the fact that Tom Brady's actually always thrown the deep ball way more than people think he has. But regardless, outside of that, you know, they start off first seven weeks of the season and they're on this torrid pace. The deep ball's clicking. Everything's great uh, on Tom Brady throwing the deep ball. Then they go through a four-game stretch highlighted mainly by the Rams and Saints games where Tom Brady was 0 for 11 on throws of 20 yards or more in the air. As we mentioned, a lot of those were miscommunication issues. The majority of them were. It wasn't like it was inaccurate balls or drops. You know, It was just like guys were not on the same page to a degree. Outside of those two games, he's been 22 of 54 on throws of 20-plus yards in the air with four drops. And so I, I say that to say, well, what's been your evaluation so far of Tom yeah. Brady and being able to throw the ball down the field in this offense? Well, it's funny you say that, John, because again, and this may be blasphemous in Tampa or maybe all over, but I thought he missed a few that were there where his ball placement was not what it should have been. I mean, that's what the tape told me. So yeah. I thought he missed a few. And you know what? That does happen. Um, but yeah, it was in that stretch too. And and I can't the remember. Panthers game, I, I yeah, a couple plays in my mind. I just can't remember the exact 
plays, but he missed a few that, yeah. you know, he normally makes. And he and he missed them in a way that he doesn't normally miss them. You know, it's one thing you miss it off a guy's fingers. You miss it by, you know, eight inches. He missed them where I thought he just missed them. You know, they, they were not very good throws. Uh, and that does happen. Um, that's obviously those kinds of throws are more a part of this offense than they were with the Patriots offense. So there are more of those kinds of throws. But he's never been a bad deep ball thrower. And the reality is his arm's always been better than I think a lot of people think it is. And I don't think there's been a drop-off in his ability to throw a football by any stretch of the imagination. I think he yeah. throws the ball well. Um, you know, it's just like you say, there's been miscommunications. Uh, there's just been some some inaccurate throws here and there. Uh, and the run game, you know, it they don't get much out of the run game at all. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's funny. When Leonard Fournette came out of college, I really liked his college tape. I knew what he was. I mean, he was not a, a back with great, you know, core quickness or lateral agility. He wasn't that guy. But I thought he'd be a really good NFL back. And I got to tell you, what really stands out to me, and I don't know what they thought he'd be when they brought him in, because at that point, I know they kept talking about Ronald Jones. I don't know if they truly thought of him as a true foundation back. Obviously, he's sort of become that guy for them. Um, but Leonard Fournette, to me – I don't know what happened to him, but his vision is just not very good. There have been so many runs this year where I'm watching the tape and it's it's like I'm talking to to the TV, you know, Leonard, it's tape, right Brett. there for you. I, you know, why are you cutting right into the defenders? We have a segment on Wednesdays, Greg, and we just call Leonard and we just we just show Leonard plays of him running into the, the defenders. And but that not wasn't seeing the case all. coming out of college. I mean, yeah. he was really – he was a fascinating player in college. Now he got hurt a little bit, but but I really thought he was an explosive player. The other thing is he in the NFL, he's become a little bit of a tiptoe guy, and he wasn't like that in college. He would hit it. And um he's become a little bit of a choppy tiptoe guy. And you know, I'm not sure he'll ever be a true feature back again. I guess, you know, time will tell. But uh certainly the the right now he's not seen that way by the by the Bucks coaching staff. Yeah, right. It's been a disappointing uh, result for Fournette, I think, for sure. He's kind of locked himself into like a third down pass catching type of role, which I don't think anyone would have envisioned coming out because that was the big question mark. And the right. big emphasis was he can run with power and he's fast and we don't see any of those things. So it's been no. a script flip for him, although he's not that great as, as a receiver either. But I wanted to kind of ask you, as we were talking about the vertical ball in, in this offense, the the Mike Evans production story has been wild this season. You and I right. talked this summer, and I asked you, I remember, because you gave me kind of an answer that was really interesting to me. I asked you, do you think Mike Evans could have a drop-off in production this year just because, not necessarily because he isn't good or Brady, he and Brady don't have good chemistry, but because I can't see the volume of balls going his way. You know, a healthy Chris right. Godwin over every game. The volume of balls might go not go Mike Evans' way. He's he still a good yards per catch production in my opinion that's what i thought but the volume might not go his way and you were like yeah i don't know i don't want to anticipate those things ahead of time and i was like that's a good point let's see how it goes they get into training camp and they're lighting it up you know in, in training camp obviously practices but you know mike evans and tom brady are totally on the same page and then chris godwin's hurt and banged up and the beginning of the season's a little bit rocky and the, but there's all this touchdown production but as the season's gone on it seemed like they're less on the same page you know there's right. like Lots of miscommunications and and Mike Evans stopping his routes. And we talked with Mark Schofield yesterday about hot routes and Mike Evans playing more in the slot this season and maybe not as aware of the hot routes as he should be. And so they need to get on the same page there. I guess just what's been your impression of those two? Are they a fit moving forward? Can they figure this thing out? 
because Brady has thrown to him a ton. I mean, he's thrown to him more than anybody else on the team by right. a, a lot. It just hasn't necessarily been – there's been moments where it's great, but it hasn't been smooth necessarily all the way. No, and I think they will figure it out. I mean, I think you're talking about two great players. Look, I, I love Mike Evans. I love his talent. I think he's a terrific receiver. Uh, so I think they will figure it out. You know, I think it's it's your typical growing pains. I mean, um, I remember I think Carolina was week two, right after the, the Saints game. Yes. Yeah. I remember there was a throw in that game that I was it's actually one of Brady's best throws of the year. It was a 50 yarder for Evans. It was against cover two and he threw it right over the middle hole defender. And, and I don't know if you guys remember that play, but it was a just a great, great throw. And it was right on Evans' hands. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking about and, and that game, he had over 100 yards, as I recall. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking, OK, this is going to work out. And they've had their moments, yeah. John, as you suggested. But clearly it's 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 still a work in progress. And I guess because I've been doing this a long time, I'm not surprised by that, you know, because this does take time. And, uh, you know, who knows what the last four games will show. Um, right. But and I, I, I'm one of those guys, I don't look at the playoff picture. You know, I let it play out the way it plays out. So I don't know where the Bucks stand. You know, I don't do that. Um, you know, so I don't know what the deal is. Obviously, if they right. didn't make the playoffs, that would be viewed as a major disappointment, clearly. <laughs> so I don't know where they stand now. But but I think this will play out over time. Um, you know, look, the touchdown he caught this week was obviously a really good route and a really good throw. You know, yeah. I think you'll start to see a little more of that. They got a lot of, you know, it's funny. They got a lot of players. They got a lot of really good weapons. You know, you know, now they have Antonio Brown. I know his numbers aren't great, but I think he looks pretty good on film the way he's moving. Right. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's, I think it was the game that you, the, or the instance you're thinking of with Evans. I mean, there's been so a couple of them this season where you're talking about the Chargers game early in the season, the Bucks game, and where they found that connection on the vertical ball. But it's, it does seem like it's two guys who can figure it out. I mean, right. because the flashes are there. And you talked about Mike Evans this offseason. I mean, you, I you were, yeah, you like, you were like, tell me, you're like, I don't think we talk about this guy enough as a top three receiver. I mean, he just is a great, great all around game. Yeah, I mean, you know, so it, it, that will happen. Um, you know, it's just when will it happen? I but it, but it right. will happen. I mean, I think you're dealing with. We know what Brady is. I, I believe I know what Evans is. I don't know Mike Evans personally, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that uh, I think that will work out. Greg, I'm a defensive guy, but before I switch to that side of the ball, I want to ask you one more question about offense. Uh, what are your thoughts on on the guy that that's kind of been? Uh, the, the the silent guy among that offensive line and and uh, and usually that's a good thing, right? When you don't hear about offensive linemen, right? That's that's a good thing if they're not giving up sacks, they're not having penalties. Right. If, if their name isn't announced uh, on the TV broadcast, usually a good thing. Alex Kappa, he's made a lot of strides at right guard. I don't think he's ever going to be a a dominant player or anything like that. But just what have you seen from him? And then the guy next to him who who has gotten his share of accolades as a rookie, Tristan Wirfs. What do you think about the right side of the offensive line with, with Kappa in his second year as a starter and the improvement he's made? And, and Wirfs is, I think, really good rookie season so far. Well, I hate to answer it this way, Scott, but I'm going to, you know, for people who know me, I don't make stuff up. I haven't watched Kappa individually enough to answer that question. I've watched Wirfs just because – He's a rookie, and I did him hard coming out of Iowa. So, yeah. and plus, I work with Matt Bowen. So, Matt Bowen talks oh, yeah. to me about Iowa nonstop. Yeah, he does. So, you yeah. know, <laughs> so uh, you know, I've watched Worfs, who I think's been really, really good. Um, yeah. You know, every rookie has a bad snap here and there, but I think Worfs has been really. You guys probably, I know, John, you probably study him in more detail than I do, but I, I, 
I think he's, you know, he's played like a veteran. He's he's yeah. been really good. Yeah. He's composed. He's poised. We knew he had physical traits, but I think he's been really impressive. He's he's got really good strength. He's got good movement. Because I got to tell you, watching him, there were times at Iowa where I thought, oh, maybe he's better as a guard. And hey, hey, I'll be the first yeah. to tell you, you know, I'm wrong. I think he's yeah. gonna, you know, he's gonna be a really good right tackle. Yeah, um, right. But Capiscata, I just haven't seen him enough individually to be able to answer that. And I did not do him coming out because yeah. he was I was going to get to him, but he was a small school kid yeah. and I just never got a chance to get to him. It, you know, yeah. you, you, whenever you draft an offensive tackle right in the top 10, top 15 or so, you, you always hear the draft analysts on television say, well, he's the kind of guy that you draft him and you just you stick him in there for 10 years. Right. I mean, the, the well, guy worse that, was that guy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the guy that comes to my mind, and you'll remember this name, Paul Gruber, right? He was a left oh, tackle yeah. Yeah. out of Wisconsin, but he just stepped in as, as a rookie left tackle and just played like a veteran for, you know, 12 years. Just yep. boom, like there he was. And I think, and I think worse, worse, I mean, worse to me is has all pro ability. I mean, I think we could be talking about him as an all pro. You know, yeah, he's, no. you know, he's been really solid this year, but I think he's an all pro type guy going forward. Yeah, there's some guys, you know this, Greg, and Scott, you know this, that when you put on the tape, and I mean, I saw week one against Cam Jordan, and it was just like, yeah, he's different. He's just different. Like, and I saw it like you did, Greg. I liked things about him in college. I mean, he was my OT, he was my second offensive tackle. Who was your Jedrick first? Wills. Jedrick Wills was my first. Mine uh, too. I, Mine too. Yeah. <laughs> I love Jedrick Wills. Yeah. He played yeah. All, and he was, he nasty and, with Worth, I was just like, man, he has all the potential in the world. He can be one of the best guys in the league. I just don't know how fast he's going to come together, and it's come together quickly. And so there's it's a been bad fun. play here and there. I mean, look, that happens. Yeah. I, I think right. was it the first play in the second uh, Saints game where he just got driven back by Cam Jordan, I believe. You know, there'll be yep. some bad plays. Look, that happens with everybody. Right. Right. No tackle in this league. That's a thousand for sure. Last yeah. offensive question I want to ask you about, Greg, before I let Scott switch things over to his favorite side of the ball in the defense real briefly before we let you go, is the connection, the the, the chemistry and the connection of, of Anthony, Antonio Brown in this offense, you know, an offense that obviously he's played in before, you know, to, uh, briefly for Bruce right. Aarons before, but him in this offense and not only Antonio Brown in this offense, but what it's meant for the group and that Scotty Miller who was actually the Bucks' leading receiver yeah. by yards because of Evans being banged up and Godwin missing four games, but also because Scotty Miller was playing great football. He has kind of stepped out of the lineup. I mean, his snaps have been non-existent, basically. I think he has like one catch for four yards in the last couple games. And Antonio Brown is inserted into that lineup and has done some good things, but the explosive play Scotty Miller provided haven't been there. Do you like that trade-off? Do you see see it some being about more about fit than about necessarily Antonio Brown just being you know, obviously Antonio Brown's better than Scotty Miller, but isn't fit important too when you're evaluating all that? Well, again, that's a tough question because now you're dealing again with the work in progress concept. You know, obviously Antonio Brown's better than Scotty Miller, but Antonio mm -hmm. Brown wasn't here and Scotty Miller was. So you know, as a coaching staff, do you say, well, we're not going to play Antonio Brown, even though he's got more talent and can, and at his best. I mean, when it, and again, we don't know, I don't know where Antonio Brown is in his career right now, but certainly he was one of the five best receivers in football uh, in Pittsburgh. So the question is, what do you do? You know, obviously it, it appeared that Brady had some kind of connection with Scotty Miller and that was working, but here's Antonio Brown, who's just better than Scotty Miller when you look at physical traits. So that's going to take time as well, John. I don't know. You know, I'm not there every day, you know. Yeah. So I don't know what the answer to that is. But but Brown is clearly more talented. 
Yeah, right. yeah, no doubt. All right, so let's talk some defense. Uh, I'll, it, we've we've got uh, quite a few fans that have joined us here in the chat, and and uh, we're not necessarily taking their questions, but one of the topics that's come up is is, is a guy that I thought was off to a, a phenomenal start this year, Vita Vea. How much are the Bucks missing Vita Vea? And, and from what you've seen on tape, what does this defensive front look like now with with Raheem Nunez, Rochez, and Steve McClendon in there? as opposed to where it was with Vita Bay at the beginning of the season, Greg? Well, again, now you're dealing with players who are not as good as Vita Bea. Yeah. And so, you know, there's going to be – it's going to be different and arguably not as good. And I think, <laughs> you know, Vita Bea to me – and I remember watching him coming out of college. Because of his body type, I think there was the thought of many people that he was just a big run plugger. You know, he's actually very light on his feet. Now, yeah. I'm not – going to sit here and tell you would have been a 15 sack guy but I mean he was more than just a guy you plug into the middle of your defense just to stop the run yeah. I think eventually he would have shown some pretty good pass rush skills and would have been a factor as a pass rusher mm-hmm. um so yeah there's there's a drop off for sure um and you know there's no question that hurts your defense I think the one guy that it's hurt a lot is is Devin White because those two guys work those a gaps really really well yep. together you know, and, and and Vita would either control the center or he would draw the double team. And it just seemed like those A gaps, whether it was the strong side or the weak side, whatever whatever gap White was hitting was was just larger, right, when when Vea was in there. And I think that we haven't seen Devin White get home nearly enough without Vea's presence in there as an A gap blitzer. Yeah, and and you know, I, I think there was also a sense of expectation too just like there is with the offense that after that green Bay game, that this team was just going to be a dominant defensive team every single week. And that's the way they were going to play every single week. They were just going to blitz and dominate. And and we know the league doesn't work like that. Uh, right. And, you know, don't forget again, it's, it's very much like offense. We talked about this earlier that it's, it's not just your quarterback, it's your whole offense. Mm-hmm. You have to take into account everybody you put out there. I mean, obviously, Jamal Dean, is he on IR? No, he, he just missed that the last game with the yeah, game. Okay, because I know he missed the last game. And obviously, yeah. they played Cockrell, who's been around the league. Yeah. Um, and they you know, and they kept Murphy Bunning on the outside. Um, but, you know, their corners, for instance, you know, Davis and Dean, and I know Todd Bowles likes big physical competitive corners, and they are that. But they're also not twitchy, explosive movers. So you have right. corners who are certain kinds of players. Mm-hmm. So that – means, you know, you can't play the exact same way every week. Look, I know everybody saw the 44-yard touchdown to Tyreek Hill. Everybody saw the 75-yard touchdown to Tyreek Hill. The 44-yarder was man, obviously. The 75-yarder was cover three, and Davis played with a big cushion, and Hill just ran by him. I mean, he gave him a 10-yard cushion, Hill just ran by him, you know. And he's going to run by a lot of people. So, you know, people now think, oh, Carlton Davis stinks. You know, he's a certain kind of corner. You know, do I think he's a top five corner in the league as we speak now? No. But Carlton Davis has pretty good ability and could be a very good player. But he's a certain kind of player. And, you know, I think Dean is another big kid. They're both out of Auburn. They're kind of built the same way. There are certain kinds of players. So you have to understand what they are and what that means depending on who you're playing. 
Yeah. So given the fact that there are certain kinds of players, and I think you're exactly right, Greg, we've been saying this all season, you know, especially with Carlton Davis, when he has been impressed, man, and I know he did get beat for one touchdown by Tyreek Hill, but his coverage well, he was in the beautiful. inside slot, which that's a tough spot too. I'm yeah. sure he's not used to playing there. Right. right. I'm actually, I was actually thinking of another touchdown, the third touchdown. Right. I guess I have to differentiate which touchdown, yeah, but yeah. yeah, later in the game, I mean, it was like a, per, he's in a perfect position. The ball comes in right. Oh, over, right. Right. I remember that, you one, know, right. and, and again, so it's like, man, he's, so anyway, I say that to say Tyreek or uh, Carlton Davis has been great this year in press man, but the Bucs have been a majority of the time they've been a zone team. And so you talk about fits of players to scheme, and I think it's a great observation because you look at these guys, Jamal Dean, Sean Murphy Bunting, Carlton Davis, and you're like, these are press man corners, right? I mean, they're big, they're long, they're athletic, yep. and yet they're not really playing impressed. Does that surprise you so far about Todd Bowles' defense this season? Um, I guess I would expect to see a little more. I mean, I remember Murphy Bunning coming out of college and I loved him. You know, he was sort of because he wasn't a big school guy, you know, a power five guy. Maybe a lot of people weren't aware of him, but I remember watching his tape and loving that kid. And uh, I thought when the Bucks drafted him, I thought, wow, they got a player. Um, and, uh, you know, he kind of showed last year in the last half of the season as well as a rookie. But, yeah, I mean, you could make that argument. Look, if Todd Bowles was sitting here and, and and we asked him, I'm sure he'd have an answer. That, and we'd, we'd listen to it when you go, you know what? That's a good answer because coaches right. don't do stuff on a whim. You know, it's right. always easy. Look, you we know how the business works. When yeah. teams lose because we now have access to the results, it's always easy to rip everything. That's easy. Mm -hmm. I'm a process guy because I love the tape study and I try to think it through from a process standpoint, which is why I don't struggle with analytics. I think it's an important part of our jobs and, and what we do, but analytics is results-based. I'm a process guy and I'm, and coaches, yes. Are they judged on one loss, which is a result, but that's not what their week is. Their week is all about process. Right. And I'm sure Todd Bowles would have a great explanation. Um, do they appear to be better press man corners? Yeah, they do. But he knows probably more than he certainly knows more than I do about them. You know, you guys are, are I know Scott, you're there. Uh, John, I guess you're going to be there if yeah. you're not already. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's, there's an answer for that. I couldn't right. tell you what it is. Well, no, right. I think you're right, Greg. And when you talk about process, you're talking about practice, right? It's, right. it's not just the games and, and we even practice. practice. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. <laughs> when, just so people understand when, when the media, like pewterreport.com, when we go and get to watch practice, it's the first 30 minutes are open, right? And 15 of that is calisthenics. That's really what right. it is, stretching. The other 15 is just light individual work. It's quarterbacks, you know, just, just throwing to receivers, right. getting some timing down. There's no scheme. There's no one-on-ones. Uh, one there's no 11-on-11, 11 11, no 7-on-7 seven seven that we get to watch. We're kicked out before that happens. And these coaches see what happens Wednesday – Thursday and Friday. Right. And 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 they, so they have three of those examples plus the previous week's game, which is four. And 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 history as coaches. Look, right. I've been fortunate in my career just because I've done it a long time. And you know, I, I guess I'm respected by coaches, you know, so I, I get to talk to coaches. Yeah. There's right. ne never one time when a coach you ask them a question, you know, and, and maybe because they respect me, they they we we actually can have a good conversation right. where I a coach goes, um, you know. I don't know why I did any of that. I don't really have a clue. Why. They, they always give you an answer and the answer yeah. is really good. Yeah. You know, not everything works, you know, right. don't forget there's a lot of really good coaches. You know, the old expression is of course, you know, the other team and the other coaches get paid too. You know, right. these guys are pretty smart. Uh, now 
because the result isn't always great, fans immediately go, you know, fans automatically think if a team's four and 12, the coaches are idiots. You know, that's not the way it works. You know, these right. guys are, are all pretty good at what they do. So there's always going to be an answer. We don't have all the details that gives us the necessary information. Right. Yeah. And it's it's difficult because you want to evaluate players and be able to say things, too, about players like you'd right. like to be able to look at Sean Murphy Bunting near near the end of his second season and say, this is a guy that I was right about or I was wrong, you know, because I like you liked him a lot coming out. But I saw him in a different role than he's typically playing now. He's been when Jamel Dean's healthy, which has been most of the season. Sean Murphy Bunting's often in the slot when they're right. nickel, and just it's not a position I ever would have thought that I would see him in in the NFL. I saw him as an outside press man corner. So it is one of those things that's tricky, right? Like you want to evaluate guys and be able to say, here's what they're good at, here's what they're not good at. But, then but here's also, the other thing, John, and you know this. They might they might look at the, all their, their uh, corners and say, you know what? If we keep Murphy Bunning outside, we don't have someone we feel good about that can play the slot. That's exactly right. right. And, and we're going to make our defense worse if we keep him outside. So maybe it's a function of, hey, hey, we like Murphy Bunning more than Jamal. I'm just talking here out of my you-know-what. I don't know this for a fact. They may say, you know, we like Murphy Bunning more than Jamal Dean. But when we play nickel, which is going to be, you know, 70% of our snaps, if we keep Murphy Bunning outside, overall, we're not going to be very good. So our best three has Murphy Bunning in the slot. You know, maybe that's the thought process. You know, who knows? But it could be that. Yeah. Right. Uh, Good. My last question for you from the, from the defensive side is, is, is Devin white, right? If, if you, if you scout the stat sheet, right, you see some of the production Devin white has had 109 tackles. It's 19 more than Levante David, who's a hell of a linebacker, five right. sacks, two pass breakups, uh, a forced fumble, fumble recovery, made some in, impactful plays, scored a couple touchdowns at the end of last year. Um, so statistically speaking, he's you know he's he's putting up some good numbers um, from from a, a an analytics standpoint. A, a site like Pro Football Focus absolutely just kills the guy. I think has him rated as literally one of the of the the worst two or three Buccaneer defenders on their team. One of the worst linebackers in the league, I think. Yeah, yeah. and but again, I don't know. You know, I don't know who's doing that. And no knock on Pro Football Focus. I know yeah. a lot of the guys. I, I don't know who's you know evaluating him. I can't answer right. that. So. Right. But yeah. I, I wanted to, just to get your your perspective on White because he's a bit of a polarizing figure. He's a guy right. drafted number five overall, and and I and the splash plays are there, the athleticism right. there. It's only a second season, but what is your evaluation right now into Devin White? And have you warmed on the guy or cooled on the guy since he's coming? Well, late? you know what? I mean, again, I'll give you my opinion. Again, I'm not studying him on every play, so please. But do, do you know why Pro Football Focus has him rated? What 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 is their problem with with, with White? Uh, mainly, it's a run process, reading and reacting to keys appropriately in run defense, but also coverage has been coverage. his weakest yeah. area. And, so that and means, I'm tape, assuming right? then that that would have to mean, and I'm sure this is so because I know the guys at Pro Football Focus that someone who was a former coach is doing that evaluation because to know you run, you know, you have to then understand run game concepts and mm-hmm. how, you know, in, in a particular defense, what that linebacker right. position then is supposed to do, right, you know, right. so you'd have to know that to, to, to say what John just said, you yeah. know, it mm-hmm. can't just be a guy who, who, you know, doesn't know that stuff. So yeah, right. again, I'm not studying him in that kind of detail. Um, I think he's definitely a highly athletic player. He's got great size. 
uh, and, and what I'm saying is probably very boilerplate now, just because I haven't studied him on every play. Um, you know, I think that he's very good going forward when he sees it. I think he's really good at that. And, and so if he does see it in the run game, I think he attacks, you know, and goes. He's a good blitzer. Um, I can't speak to whether his play recognition is, is bad or good. I, you know, I just can't because, yeah. you know, some guys I love studying like that over the years. Like I used to love to study Luke Keekley like that, mm-hmm. who I thought had the best play recognition of, yes. of any Mike linebacker that I can recall watching in 20 years. You know, right. so I used to love – I used to make it a point to watch that. I haven't done that with Devin White, so I can't really speak to that. Right. Yeah, he was – Luke Keekley was a special one, man. There's oh, not I mean, many he, players. He was, I mean, it was unbelievable, John. I mean, watching him play, he just knew everything that was going to happen before it happened. And, and right. Greg, just, just being, you know, down here covering the Buccaneers, I mean, you know, you, you, you've you got some familiarity with Greg Schiano, right? You know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and – didn't it seem like Luke Keekley was was just like Greg Shiano's son? I mean, just just yeah. just the way they, they looked and and acted yep. and the, the defense and all that. And that was one of the biggest draft day surprises when Luke Keekley got passed over for Mark Barron. That just blew my mind because here I am. That's you know, right. Oh, wait, was Barron the eighth pick in the draft? What was I forget the, which number he was. That sounds right. I think it was eight. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I think Keekley was like nine or ten. He was, yeah, yeah. It, yes. yeah. And, and I just, I just. Well, I love Luke Keekley coming out too. Yeah, and you I know, I, I remember a lot of people talking about his speed. And I remember watching a tape. And I don't know if you remember this player. He didn't make it in the NFL, but he was big and fast. I remember watching Luke Keekley run down the scene with Tommy Streeter, a wide yeah. receiver from the University of Miami. Miami, yeah. And yeah. he was like six four Streeter, but he was like a four three eight guy. Yeah. And Keekley ran down the scene with him on this play, which is why when you watch tape, you've got to watch full games. As right. John knows, you can't just watch, you know, hit tapes or you know. Pre- and I remember watching Keekley run down the scene with Streeter, literally thirty five yards. He was stride. They, you know, Kiki looked like a wide receiver running with him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. And he had probably some of that. I, you recall that play? I recall plays where he would be in like the middle, just like a middle hook underneath zone, and he would sense a, a crossing route coming behind him, and he'd get all the way to the far boundary and make a oh, play. I mean, it was he, just. He had an interception on Thanksgiving Day for a touchdown, I believe, against the Dallas Cowboys a number of years ago, yeah. where it was the perfect combination of recognition and then ability. And yeah. it was, I mean, it's a play we did in the matchup show because it was just one of those plays. It was yeah. just playing it you couldn't have done you a coach couldn't have drawn it up any better right yeah he's a special player and the yeah. bucks have had a few of those over the years i'm sure you remember hardy nickerson and Derek oh, brooks yeah. and watching those guys and then now levante david i mean we're going and i know Derek pretty well Derek, i've known for a long time yeah i mean those guys when you talk about the, the lineage of linebackers the bucks have had you realize Devin white the you know that's the position basically in Tampa Bay where the, the standard is really high for him yeah. to meet some of those guys. But he's I don't know Devin White. You know, so again, then it comes down to study and and what you take in. You know, process. It's it's look, all this is process. Yeah, you know, right. it, pe- people just see the game on Sunday and and they react to that, and that's fine. We wanted yeah. we want fans. Do we want fans? So right. you know, that's all part of the gig. But you know, I don't know what his process is during the mm-hmm. week. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and then being able to play with Levante David, though, you've watched Levante David for years, even if you he's had, a great player right. I him coming out of Nebraska. I thought he'd be, he was a really good prospect. 
Right. And, but even though undersized, you know, that was kind of the knock on him, right? He's small yeah. for a linebacker. How can he play linebacker in the NFL? You know, he's, when you're that small and nowadays we're, we're more used to it. You know, we right. see a lot of these guys come out, but of he's not, linebackers. but he was always physical. You know, he yeah. was not a guy, he was not just a runner. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. He was a hitter. And, and, and I'll tell you what, speaking of that draft, I mean, the Bucks blew it. The seventh round, I'm sorry, seventh pick overall is, is where Mark Barron was picked. They got the, yeah, okay. The, the Buck fans in the chat that are helping my memory here, he was picked seventh overall. So the Bucks whiffed on Keekley, but at least they came back in the second round that year and got a linebacker in Levante David. So right, uh, yeah. oh, that was the same draft, huh? Same draft, yeah. So. Well, you know, it's pretty Mark good. Barron, I guess Mark, you know, Mark Barron has had a you know a decent pro career. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he's been a total yeah. stiff or anything, right? But. I, I, I really was intrigued by him coming out. You know, I, I, he wasn't one of those guys I said, oh, he's can't miss. He's going to be a superstar. But I thought he was a really good prospect and obviously yeah. came from Alabama. Uh, I thought he was a really good prospect. And I guess people never quite saw him as a true safety because, you right. know, he kind of got moved to linebacker well, relatively the, early in his career. The, the thing is, is, is it was right in, in that kind of like flex flux type of of situation where the NFL was transitioning to, you know, uh, the John Lynch safeties were, were gone and, right. and the enforcer types. Um, that well, you can't hit people like that now. You can't. Right. And no. so the, the Bucks had a double whammy. They signed Deshaun Golston, who was one of those enforcers across the middle. Mm. And then they drafted one in Mark Barron. So they had two safeties that kept getting dinged for personal fouls and suspensions because of targeting calls. And, and wait, they shamed, did they sign Golson from San Francisco? They did, yes. He was yeah. a good player in San Francisco. He really was. You know, so when they signed him, I thought, boy, that's a pretty good signing. Absolutely. You know? it just it's, That's right around the time where, in that Greg Schiano uh, years, where the league really transitioned and was throwing the flags, right? And if you led with the top of your you're the crown yeah. of your it just eliminated the enforcer position. And unfortunately for the Buccaneers, during Shiano's time with, with Mark Dominic, they had two enforcer-type people at safeties. They wanted to continue the, the John Lynch legacy in Tampa, but the NFL said, no, we're not taking those types of safeties anymore. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, look, there's been a lot of uh, evolution over the last number of years in the NFL. I mean, you certainly don't see, you know, 6'3", 250-pound linebackers now, unless yeah. a guy's a Super, super athlete. Yeah, you know, you so just there, don't there's see no those guys. Berkeley's. There's no Cam Chancellors anymore. In the well, middle. I remember, was it last year or the year before? John will remember this well because he does a lot of draft work, obviously. But I remember the kid from Clemson, Trey Lamar. And I remember reading some people saying, oh, he's going to come in and be a star. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't even know if he'll make the league. You know, I didn't I mean, think he would get drafted. Yeah, I remember yeah, people. You know, I mean, was a first round pick. Yeah, early in the process. Yeah, you know, yeah. Some people were talking about him like he'd be a top fifty pick, and I'm thinking, you know, nothing against Trey Lamar. I don't know Trey Lamar, and no. I know he was a big, big time recruit. Was he a Florida kid, by the way? I can't remember that. But anyway, but he was I, a big time recruit going to Clemson, obviously, and you know, maybe a three year starter, certainly a two year starter, mm -hmm. and you know, did well at Clemson. But that style, because he wasn't, he was stiff. He wasn't a great athlete, right. you know, and and those guys just don't play in the league. Right. Yeah. The Bucks have found two that fit the league style for sure. Now it's yeah. just about continuing to cultivate White, I think, into the player that he can be. Greg, I could literally watch or talk football with you all day and listen to you talk football all day and not get tired. But I know we got to let you go. We really appreciate you coming on the show and being able to give us some of your time. Probably kept you longer than I promised you, but it's been <laughs> a lot of fun. We appreciate it. Guys, I really appreciate it. Thanks. I enjoyed it a lot. Absolutely. So much we will be, we will, 
Yeah, we'll be back on the Pewter Report podcast on Sunday uh, after the game. We'll kind of look at what happened in the games and in the picture kind of at that point um, and in what the play- NFC playoff picture looks like. Um, and so we'll talk about all of that and we'll talk about kind of the Bucks moving out of the bye week and back into practice and we'll be back. So it'll be Sunday and it'll be, uh, we'll do that in the evenings after the yeah. games, probably right around the t- start time of the, of the night game. Not. And then, yes. Even though no Bucks football, it's still a football weekend, so I want everybody to know out there, hope you guys feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed all of you users to grab themselves a free uh, risk-free bet up to 250 bucks. It's basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what were you doing? No, seriously, though. Now is the time to get some skin in the game with MyBookie, where odd boosts, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are and we know what they're capable of. It's not too difficult to find some value in the money lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or you've been playing with MyBookie for years like I have, there's no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and the contests they offer up every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. Now, here's the thing with MyBookie. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your favorite local spot. The best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even when the stadium lights have gone out. So make sure you sign up and play today at MyBookie. And when you do, use that promo code Pewter. John, let's see that banner up there. Oh, yeah, Pewter. Use it. Yep. To get your deposit matched halfway, all the way up to a thousand bucks. The terms are simple. If you put in two hundred bucks, they're going to match it up to another hundred dollars in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money, folks. It's winning season at my bookie. Use the promo code Pewter. Come join the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff, man. I could listen to Greg talk football. I know. I love. Yeah, I love the stories too. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a blast, um, and so we really appreciate him coming on. Hope yes. the fans enjoyed it as well. Appreciate you all interacting in the chat and sticking with us for this live show, and for all of you as you were listening to it after the fact too. We appreciate y'all. Uh, go tell your friends and family. Pewter Report, YouTube TV, Pewter Report podcast. Have them subscribe. Um, you know, tell them to tell their friends and family. Spread the word about the show. We're closing in on 2K subscribers. Uh, I think we were further away when I first mentioned it than I thought we were, but we are very close now. Um, so we are going to be uh, we're going to be rolling up the 2K and then going for 3K. And so um, we're going to have a lot of fun with the show for sure. So we'll be back Sunday. Make sure you're joining us Sunday night. Uh, we'll have the times tweeted out and everything uh, to let you all know. But hit that bell and the notifications on YouTube. You'll know when we go live. So thanks so much for listening to another edition of the Pewter Report Podcast. Out. Out.